Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. In today's episode, Chip Frederick joins us as we talk Commodore baseball. Today's news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Injury Law, and please tell them you heard about them on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Well, in Vanderbilt's midweek game, the Commodores get a 7-0 win over Austin P. Thomas Schultz, who is now the midweek starter, throws six shutout innings. The Commodores have not lost a midweek game in over two years now. Austin P. the last squad to beat the Commodores that in early 2019. Chip Frederick appears on our guest line. That's brought to you by our friends at Bowling Branch, Scott and Missy Tannen. Bowling Branch has been a great company. I have used their products for about six to seven years now. Their sheets are phenomenal. Try them for yourself. You will see what I mean. They are 100% organic cotton. They are rain-fed. I cannot tell you the difference. You just have to feel them for yourself, and the sheets get softer with every washing. Go to bullandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L and branch.com. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. You'll thank me later. Chip Frederick joins me today as we talk Commodore baseball. Chip, first of all, huge series win in Knoxville. Vanderbilt, I think this morning, we're doing this on Thursday, six in the RPI, uh, in really, really good shape, boring a collapse to host, maybe be a, a top eight seed. I would say that's expectation isn't fair, but I, I'd say more likely than not. But anyway, taking care of business in Knoxville really put this team in a good stretch heading down the home stretch where so much is about to matter. Yeah, you're right, Chris. It, you know, we're here at the halfway point with 15 games in, and uh, it's weird how this these seasons kind of uh, flow along a little bit when you reach the halfway point because still a lot of baseball to play in some big, important series. But, you know, as the end of the year sort of comes as far as the baseball season into the year, it really flies by, uh, and, and these weekends kind of start stacking on top of each other and play some really quality opponents here coming up but it was it was a good series win it was kind of a roller coaster ride all week in Knoxville but it was good for this team it it was good to go into an atmosphere that uh, was hostile we knew it was going to be hostile against a team that had this this three game series circled you know gosh probably all since fall ball for them so I played a good quality opponent Tennessee was up to the challenge on you know, on the on the Saturday game, but uh, you got to remember and and talking with people about this series, and Tim Corbin, I listened to him yesterday, uh, reemphasized this, and he said this several times. This is still, a, and this really showed when you you and, and why the series win was so good. This team is really young. I mean, it, it's it's a talented team that's in the top three, four in most polls, but it is still very, very young and still maturing and learning to be in situations like that. And I thought it was just uh, another feather in their cap for their resume as far as going into Knoxville and doing what they did. So, you know, it was an up and down roller coaster. You felt really good Friday night and you seeing Rocker come back. And then Saturday, just you get 
hit right in the nose uh, with a, a game that should have been won in most instances, and, and Vanderbilt fans are used to winning games like that, and it didn't work out. But then rallying on Sunday and getting the Game 3 victory pretty decisively. So all in all, it was a good weekend, good midweek uh, win against Austin P. shut them out and limited in just a couple of hits. So uh, a good week for the Commodores thus far. You know, I'm glad you said that. Um, and let me stack a couple things together to, to kind of add to what you said. And I think this all points to the job that Tim Corbin has done this year. I think, as a lot of people know, I've started a Southeastern Conference site at southeastern14.com. I've been doing, doing player rankings for the top 14 hitters slash position players and pitchers. And as I'm going through that, um, in fact, let me just pull these up, and I'll, I'll go through some of these one by one to, to tell you exactly who. Um, I'm looking at my top hitters in the league. I've got Liam Spence at Tennessee 1. Fourth-year senior. Will Frizzell at Texas A&M, four. Fourth-year senior. Um, go down the list. I think TJ Collette for Kentucky is a fourth-year senior. Um, I'm not sure about Matt Goodhart at Arkansas. He might be a, a third-year guy. But the point is, there's, there's a few fourth-year seniors on here. And a lot of years, these guys would have been gone in the draft already. They, they would have been drafted last year. And they'd be on pro rosters, pitchers. Um, I think there's a couple guys in here. I could be wrong. Maybe Cody Greenhill at Auburn. I'm not sure. But my, my point is, Ryan Webb at Georgia would be one for sure. My point is, you look at the league, and, and in college baseball, the expectation was, and I know TCU was the team that was mentioned, that could have a lot of fourth and fifth year seniors coming back through the rules changing and expanding eligibility, and, and UCTCU now, I think, what, uh, four or five in the RPI or something, probably would be a top eight national seed. You see teams like that that have benefited uh, from getting players that they wouldn't normally get. Well, you look at Vanderbilt, and of uh, the guys who maybe could have come back, um, Harrison Ray went pro, Ty Duvall went pro. You know, a lot of other programs, those guys might be back for another year. Uh, Brown. Cooper Davis came back, um, but you look at some guys who did, right? Um, Tyler Brown gets drafted in the top five rounds, as does Mason Hickman. Um, so they, they caught a bad break there because nobody knew going into the draft whether those guys would get picked or not. And if they, if, they get, if they don't get picked, they're probably back. Point I'm getting at was Vanderbilt didn't really benefit by any of what happened last year, where a lot of other teams did, and yet you look up and uh, this is the the number two team in the nation, pretty much on a consensus basis at this point. I just think that says a lot about what Tim Corbin and his staff have built. Yeah, I mean, if you put Mason Hickman and Tyler Brown on this team, this team might be, yeah, I mean, in, in the 15 games, might be 14 and one. I mean, it, it could it, that's a, makes a huge difference, and, and 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 if you really look at it, Chris, uh, and you think about the mentality, and this is you know you got to call the good with the bad. You're you're talking about a team in Vanderbilt that has probably undoubtedly the best one two starters in the country in college baseball, and we're sweating getting six outs in game one and two. 
That's just the bottom line. Uh, you, anything, any Vanderbilt fan who watches it, I mean, I'm sitting there doing the same thing. You're, you're finding yourself counting pitches in Rocker and Lighter's game, sitting there going, well, it's the seventh, and he's got 83 pitches. So if he can just get us another, you know, you're, you're literally doing that. And it shouldn't, it shows the value of a bullpen. And it's not that the bullpen is bad. It's just they're trying to find a guy to, a guy or two to step in for the A, Sunday roll, and for the B, that, that the game like Maldonado came in on Friday night, which is outstanding, and did exactly what he did. And so uh, that's just it. I mean, you, you shouldn't be sweating. So I'm not saying there's this false hope that we're, as we're going into the second half of the season, and maybe that's what, you know, it's time to do that after 15 games. Where are, where are the Commodores and where are they going? Well, I mean, someone's going to have to take that third position. And if I'm in that pitching room, you know, you want to have three or four guys who are saying, it's me, it's me. Is it an Ethan Smith who's been out for two weeks for a parent COVID situation? It could be a guy like him, a, an aggressive guy, a guy who's passionate. You want, you want somebody like that to take the ball on game three and run with it and get you four or five innings. And, and Tim Corbin, and listening to him yesterday in a press conference, he said, you know, in an ideal situation, you want to have one, two, three, four, like he has in the past. You know, and, and Mason Hickman was that three guy last year, and they had a consistent Tuesday or Wednesday starter. And you don't want, you know, he kind of frowned on, I think the question was asked of him, is it, you know, is it is it safe to say that Sunday from here on out is just going to be a staff day? And he was quickly to say, no, that's not the optimal situation. So you're looking for that, but... I, I hope I'm making my point that, you know, to be so good as they are in games one and two on paper, that you got two guys that are going to be drafted in the top five without a doubt, you shouldn't be sweating who's going to come in after them. And that's kind of what's happened the last couple of weeks. And it, it is hopeful for me that, that, you know, I think Nick Maldonado's earned that spot uh, to get the ball first. Uh, you got to throw strikes in that situation. Luke Murphy is, didn't throw strikes in Baton Rouge early and got out of it, but he did not throw strikes when he got the ball in Knoxville when it was his chance. And and you got to go with the hot hot item. And I think Maldonado has earned that right. And we'll see who can earn that number three spot um, uh, as far as on on Sundays or or game three. But I agree with your point there. You know, um, they they've got to find. A person we didn't get to take advantage of the situation when Mason Hickman to have him come back. That would have been, I mean, that would have been a abundance of riches if that would have happened. Oh, that that they would have been crazy good. Well, look, two things: the areas that people are worried are number three starter and finishing out games. Luke Murphy was shaky last weekend, but as I always say, you've got to put your problems one on the scale against everybody else's problems. And two, I think you've got to look on the horizon and they've got some answers. If you want to take a step back further, um, I think Thomas Schultz is starting to show he's probably a capable number four. Um, again, when you get to number four starters on any team, there's going to be some warts. But I like the way he looked. I was in the stands for that one. I think they will get Ethan Smith back, if not this weekend soon. I think Ethan is more than capable of giving them four to five quality innings to start games. It may not happen right away, 
Uh, he's not pitched a lot. He's been under that COVID quarantine. But I have a feeling he's going to work his way into that. I think that Nick Maldonado has been lights out. Nick Maldonado's actually given up fewer base runners per inning than Rocker and Leiter. That's how good he's been. So I think that you have parts emerging. And I want to do this, okay, Chip? Let's go down with this because you got to get 27 innings taken care of in an SEC weekend, right? Um, So let's go down this. I think you can go with Rocker and Leiter and – Give one of them six and the other one seven just to be conservative. You've taken care of 13 of your 27 there, right? That's right. And you can get more out of them on some bases, uh, some weeks than others, and especially when it really matters. But just to be conservative, let's give them 13. Let's say that Ethan Smith can give them four. That's 17. Um, I think you can get three out of Maldonado. That's 20. I think conservatively, you could get two out of McIlwain. When I say innings, I'm saying pretty good innings, right? So let's give, since we're giving Maldonado three, let's give McIlwain two. You're looking at you got 22 innings covered between those guys. Um, I think you could take Luke Murphy for one. That's 23. You could maybe give Hugh Fisher one. Uh, that's 24, and then maybe mix and match with Hunter Owen and Miles Garrett and some other guys to get the last three. And again, um, I think that you could easily give McIlwain probably three or four, what he went for last weekend. But being really conservative, even with that, you start adding up innings and who you trust, and you've almost got the 27 before you get into the you know, having to throw guys that may be freshmen that you're not as sure about. So, I mean, I get that the hand-wringing is there, and I see it too, but you throw Smith into that equation, you consider what they're getting out of Maldonado, um, I think they're in terrific shape. Well, yeah, and we're, we're, we're you know... We're, we're being purposely it, it, pessimistic for the sake of the exercise, right? Right, and, and uh, yeah, right. And But I will say... Three guys, I mean, you can talk about offensively, and I'm a former pitcher, so I'm going to brag on the pitchers first. You've got, of course, you got the rocker performance of last weekend, which I thought he was passionate. He was edgy. I loved it. I love seeing that out of him. So he's obviously, you know, if you like the Predators, you're three stars of the weekend, right? He's one of them. But two guys stood out to me as well. Maldonado and McIlvain. I'm telling you, McIlvain has become... And, and, and a lot of staffs have to have this guy, the the glue that kind of keeps a game together. And I love his disposition. He's very calm on the mound. He's very fluid. You look at his numbers, four innings in Knoxville, struck out four, walked two, and he threw 66 pitches. He kept that game together when it could have gone the wrong way, even though we were putting up crooked numbers uh, pretty much in the first six almost every inning. So you got to have a guy like that on your staff. And, and I've been pr- impressed with him, not just last weekend, but I've been watching this kid, and I really like what I see. And he would be on if you, if you took the three guys. Now, Jack Leiter, he gives up what? He's given have four career home runs, and he gave up three in that park. And I, I, I did not pitch in that park. I pitched very rarely. It was, it was just, of course, it's the same location. And the fencing there has always been an issue where it just juts out 
at a sharp angle. Balls just jump out of there, and I don't know what it is. It's the air, the I don't know what it is, but balls have always jumped out of that park. So you, I, I think very rarely you're going to see that. So I'm not dogging the performance of Jack Leiter. He's had a great season. But those three guys stood out to me. I think the resurgence of Maldonado, I think McIlvain doing what he did to keep the game together, and then the great performance by by Rocker on, on game one to kind of set the tone. So that's what impressed me. This season of the podcast made possible by Jody Jones, DDS. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a Vanderbilt football booster. He is trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody provides a range of much sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice on 55 Music Square East in Nashville, He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry. He provides unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Go see Jody Jones today. You'll see why he's worked with many artists, movie stars, music stars, celebrities, you name it over the years. They get first-rate results. You'll love the service. You'll love Jody. Schedule a visit today. Tell him you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Well, two things. There's been some talk that McIlvain could end up being their closer. Um, speculation. I, I don't know that there's anything to it, but it's interesting to think about. But let's let's do it the other way, okay? Let's say that you get 15 innings between Rock, Rocker and Leiter, which is not out of the question. Give Ethan Smith five. That's 20. Give Maldonado, Maldonado and McIlvain each three. That's 26. Give Murphy one. There's your 27. You've used six pitchers, and I think you feel really good if you can pick the spots all those guys throw in. And, and oh, by the way, you've got Schultz out there um, and a lot of other guys, Hugh Fisher, just waiting in the wings if you need them. Oh, Patrick Riley, another one. I, I, I knew I was forgetting someone, and he's the sure. guy I'm forgetting. So I, yeah, think they're go- I think they're more than fine. Yeah, and Schultz is, you know, we're, we're, we're picking at straws here. I mean, Schultz is, you know, you've got to have, as I've mentioned before, ad nauseum, that four guy for for the for the regional, more so for the regional than the super regional in the college world series. If you get that far, you gotta you gotta be that deep, and that's what you know Corbin said in, the, in his press conference yesterday. And he kind of they don't want this situation, and they're trying to find it, and they're 15 games in, and they got 15 more to figure it out. And and um, these guys are going to be put in situations on the road in Gainesville and against a team. Mississippi State, who's coming here, who's kind of been feast or famine on the weekends, but then when they've been feast, they've been pretty dead gum good. And, uh, you know, so they're going to be tested there. So this is the part of the season. There's no gimmies. The conference is as strong as it's ever been from top to bottom, I think. Uh, the bottom portion of it has kind of lifted itself up a little bit. So you're not having the bottom, you know, we play Alabama and Alabama in a couple weeks. They've been a bottom feeder for a while in baseball, and they've had a resurgence, and they're getting some pitchers back. So that's going to suddenly become an interesting series. So there's a lot to be said about this second half, and and we'll learn some things about this team, and things will start, the pieces of the puzzle start fitting together nicely, hopefully, if you're a Vanderbilt fan, and, um, you know, string some more wins together. But if this is a, this upcoming series is is one where, Again, Mississippi State's coming in red hot team, and and they've uh, they have been you know they've won eight out of nine, Chris, in the conference. Uh, so they're going to be coming here on a on a roll, and 
and hoping to uh, stick a dent in Vanderbilt's plans. All right, I'm going to give you one more thing here, okay? And I'll work from the bottom and go towards the top for point of emphasis. This is conference play, number of runners that each team has given up per inning. And by the way, Vanderbilt leads the league in earned run average in conference play at 3.22. But base runners allowed in league play from worst to best. Missouri 1.93, Auburn 1.71, Alabama 1.70, A&M 1.68, LSU 1.60, Georgia the same, Kentucky 1.55, Arkansas 1.46, Ole Miss 1.44, State 1.35, Tennessee 1.34, South Carolina 1.32, Florida 1.32, Fandy at 1.07. So they're giving up basically, what, two and a quarter base runners fewer per league game on average than every other team in the league, which is crazy. Yeah, that, that, that's some crazy numbers uh, right there. So that kind of does definitely paint a picture of, of how well they've done in that in category. So, yeah, it's, it's in Mississippi State as well. I mean, what, being in the, what, in the five position in that stat, is that what they are that you yeah. gave me? Yeah. So, yeah, so it's um, – yeah, and you can you can pick apart a stat sheet. You can look at different teams and see you know runners left on base, and and you can look how how well they're running. Well, you know the stolen bases. Who was that against? Where did they get all those? You look at Enrique Bradfield. You know he got four in one game. Could have had five, and so that that kind of tells you also they can be a little misleading as far as stat sheets. But that that definitely does tell a interesting tale. I want to do one other thing. Because you know, I know the schedule gets tougher in the league from here on out for them in the second half. But I don't know that the that the offenses get tougher. I'm, I'm trying to look at this. Um, let me sort this by runs scored and just see where the teams they play rank in the league. Um, pardon me for just a minute. I know this is horrible podcast league, but there's going to be a a good point here. Um, well, as you're looking, yeah, I mean, as you're looking at that, you, I mean, Mississippi State, the, the order goes Mississippi State at Florida, Alabama, uh, here in Nashville, was sandwiched in between a, a Louisville, a Battle of the Barrel in Louisville, and then uh, at Ole Miss and Kentucky here. So, uh, you know, you're, you're, you still got to go two hostile environments, uh, no matter whatever stats you're going to quote, you got to go to Gainesville, you got to go to Oxford, and uh, it looks like you have three at home. So it's um, wherever you play in this league, and, and, and once again, I, I still think that's a, a series I'd like to pop down to in Oxford. Uh, I think that'll be completely nuts uh, hearing people talk about the state of Mississippi in college baseball and the number of fans they had. I think they're outdrawing the New York Yankees. I read that somewhere. Um, wow. And they had, you know, I have 40, 40, low 40,000 as far as total attendance in Starkville this past weekend for that rivalry uh, series with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of tough places to play and a lot of baseball to go. Some might say COVID doesn't exist there. <laughs> right. uh, there's not a mass. Somebody might say that, right? Yeah, right, right. Somebody might say that. I love that comment. Oh, you can tell the frustration's boiling over. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, it, it's 
it is a little difficult to defend. Now, I don't know who's out, who's got a tape measure out there and they're measuring distances and six feet and what have you as far as Vanderbilt Stadium is a little more compact than Lindsey Nelson Stadium. I get it. But let me tell you something. <laughs> Talking to someone who was there in Knoxville, they basically took the 50% that they're allowed in Lindsey Nelson Stadium and and this is I was told this by someone who would know this within who follows UT baseball. A bunch of students showed up, Chris. That they you know the word got out to the athletic dorms and you know hey let's go over to state and they were just letting people in. I mean yeah. they were with student ID. Oh yeah, come on in. So there was no way. But that's fine. That's fine. It was a great. As Tim Corbin said, and the amazing thing about it was the people on Twitter uh, went bananas when Tim Corbin first said that in the quote by Adam Sparks. And 50% of the people thought that he was dogging UT, and the ones who knew Tim and know what he meant knew exactly what he was doing. And then I think the UT fans kind of came around to it and realized he was complimenting them. Yes, about the fact yes. So I, that was, uh, I love that comment. If you've listened to his other comments, it is pretty clear that he is... And he's getting aggravated with the situation. Um, he's had he's had players called up in quarantines who were asymptomatic who could help them. Um, I mean, it's it's it is what it is. But here's where I was going to go with runs. Okay, um, yeah, Ole Miss has scored 108 runs. That's the most in the league. They are to come on the schedule. Arkansas number two. They don't play Arkansas. Vandy three. Of course, they don't play themselves. Georgia, four. South Carolina, five. So they've already played those two teams. Alabama's the top-scoring offense outside of Ole Miss that they are to play. That'll be at Hawkins Field, Alabama, seven at 89. Florida is number eight at 87. Excuse me, number seven. Uh, Kentucky here. I think Kentucky's ballpark is more favorable to runs uh, than Vanderbilt's. So they play three teams squarely in the middle of the pack in offense coming up. They've already played Tennessee. Tennessee's ninth. Uh, State is 11th in a run scored. And 12, 13, 14, or LSU, or excuse me, A&M, LSU, Missouri. They don't play A&M. They've already played LSU and Missouri. And and, and by the way, uh, facing Vanderbilt pitching might have something to do with with them being that low in run scored. But in, in terms of the schedule gets tougher but I don't know that the offensive slate that they are going to face really does, is my point. Yeah, but, but you got to look at, uh, you know, Florida's sitting there at 9-6, and six, Chris. I mean, that's two games back of Vanderbilt from the lead, and, and you, everybody's been, you know, sitting there looking at Florida 26-11 and 9-6, and, and six, but they're still and not having the year that maybe it was expected. But that's that's something that that could be a team that, you know, everyone thought, you know, South Carolina left here, I still thought they were a very good team, and look at them. They're one game out. They're ten and five, uh, and twenty four and ten overall. I mean, South Carolina uh, is is you know within striking distance as well, uh, tied with Tennessee for second. So again, it's it's what it's just as the games heat up and the weather heats up and the the pitching um, solidifies. You know that series uh, next weekend could be. Uh, you know they're all going to be big, but there there's there's definitely teams that are sitting there. Have have fold the tents in the east, and not to mention the west. How, you know, you look at the west, Arkansas is still leading that, but the state's only a game behind, and you got Ole Miss 
two games back. So the, if you look at the raw numbers, the East is better than the West this year a little bit, which has not always been the case because LSU's faltering and Texas A&M hadn't been playing as anywhere what they thought was expected. So uh, just interesting to look at the halfway point and where we are. Yeah, and Florida is clearly not what we all thought Florida would be, but I still think if you're Vanderbilt, you never feel good about going to Gainesville. And, and frankly, I've done predictions for the rest of the season. Um, I think they'll come out tied, Will Vanderbilt, for the SEC overall lead, but that includes losing two or three in Gainesville. Yeah, that's you know that's that's not an easy place to play. Uh, and no. It's, uh, and uh, you know they're always revved up for that series, so it's uh, you know, uh, but. Um, yeah, it's just it, it, there's no looking at. I mean, we've got Missouri who has an overall losing record at 11-23, and you got Auburn at 16 and 18, which they've been down for quite a while. Those two teams, but they're the only teams that do not have winning records as far as overall, which is a little surprising. Uh, you would have thought Auburn would have you know improved a little bit, but they just haven't made their move. Yeah, and you know what? I just thought of this. Florida always gets in their heads. They know all the buttons to push and everything, and I think that's worked to the Gators' advantage. I think having gone to Tennessee and dealt with that might end up helping them when they go to Gainesville. Yeah, you know, that that whole atmosphere in Knoxville, talking to some guys who have former players and friends of mine who watched that, and they made the comment, even I was thinking, we were thinking the same thing, but I... um, there was some serious trash being talked. Uh, there was some uh, some things that you don't normally see a Vanderbilt team do. You know, there's always some jockeying. It's nothing like when I played. Nothing. I mean, there's, the umpire, first of all, the umpires don't allow it, and uh, they were quick to make that change a couple years after I left the game. But there was some bat flipping and you know some emotions going on. You know, the Vanderbilt, of course, does the plate stomp, which I don't mind at all. Of course, Tennessee, when they hit those home runs on the Saturday game, their whole team did it. And there was a lot of chippiness going on. Rocker was uh, Rocker was definitely uh, letting his presence be known. And, 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 and you, so you saw all that and you wondered, you know, you knew the intensity of all that. You had, you know... UT's coach gets tossed on Friday night. Uh, you had all the stuff going on in the stands, but it was interesting to see that. And then, yeah, that's been a place in Florida. You're talking about next weekend that that their their fans have gotten on, gotten inside some of the heads of Vanderbilt. But I'm not saying that's bad. You know, it was it, bad that uh, there was some bat flipping on our end and some. But you definitely, I think, um, there was a discussion after the game on Saturday that they better bat, bounce back meaning Vanderbilt, you know, there, I think there was some a pretty tough conversation on the bus that uh, that how much the Sunday game meant, and uh, they came back and played it because there was surely a lot of emotion in that Sunday game too and, and some stuff that you normally don't see. So, it, it and, and that's all good. I don't, I don't, it gets to a point. I don't mind all that. The game should be played with passion. But you just really, if someone who follows it and notices things like that, which I did, and if you coached or you played, you can walk into a park and you can tell within the first 15 minutes if things are going to be chippy, and it definitely was. Yeah, I think that's the most meaningful game they've played all year. To come back after having lost a late lead, with the balls flying out of there, with your pitching situation uncertain, with everybody on edge, with the 
fans hanging from the rafters. I think to see them decisively win that game the way they did, I hate to say like one game's a really good sign, but it kind of felt that way. Yeah, and that, and that for a young team like the, this team, it's good that they went through that, and it's you want that to happen. You want to to see, you know, I'm not saying you ever want a loss, but to lose the way they did on Saturday in that such an unexpected fashion when you think, okay, you know, you got game one and game two is going your way, and then it just kind of explodes on you, uh, and and you, you learn more from from your losses. Certainly, you don't want to win. You, you win them all. Of course, you want to win all of them. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it has to be the water's kind of got to be thrown in your face a little bit and, and learning from that, you know, especially the bullpen, which, you know, on that game on Saturday looked almost unrecognizable. So it was it was good. Hopefully it'll be a learning experience for these next 15. Let's go and hit the mailbag quickly. I'm going to have to run here in a few. The mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Diehard VU fan says this may be way too early to be discussing this subject, but what do you expect next year's pitching rotation to look like given that Lighter and Rocker will be gone? Oh, Lordy, diehard VU fan. <laughs> That's a tough – I mean, you know, you don't know – we know who they've got the commitments from for next year, but that's that is, uh, you know, you. I'm going to take a stab at it. I mean, you're going to have you have Schultz, you have Little, um, you know, um, and you might be better on this than me. I mean, is Ethan Smith draft eligible this year or not? Yeah, Ethan, I'm yeah. pretty sure will be picked enough to yeah. be gone. Okay, well, you know, so. Um, Goodness, I mean, you you could go, and then you never know when a Jack Leiter, with prolific as the recruiting classes have have been, when a Jack Leiter is going to walk through that door. Now, not not going to be that many kids that talented who have who have blossomed like him. But yeah, I, I would worry more. I'm not trying to put a damper on the question. I mean, let's enjoy this season. But it's really, who would you say, Chris? I mean, it's. You could sit there and look at this roster of how many 15, 16 guys and uh, take a stab at. Now, they won't have the numbers will be different maybe next year, roster limitations due to COVID, and you won't have this number of pitchers. But uh, there could be a young young guy or two who could step in just like Rocker and Leiter did as well. Tentatively, I would go little Riley Schultz yeah. uh, with with the asterisk there being, or two of them being Dooley and Laboki what kind of shape are their arms in next year. I mean, that that's still a pretty good – if those guys are all healthy, that's a pretty good five to start from. It's not not quite as top-heavy as this year's, to say right. the least, but I, I think that would play most places. Yeah, I, I, that would be a formidable staff, but it's like anything else. I mean, it's like Alabama football. You know, you just get used to – excellence and why don't we have two guys who are going to be picked in the top five so I guess my advice would be enjoy this while it while it lasts because it it, it, um they don't roll around too much but I mean you look at who has been on these staffs the Sonny Grays the David Prices I mean you can just go on and on there's 
they're able to restock the cu the cupboard and and get guys to step in as young freshmen like they have. So I think the three you mentioned would be uh, would be a formidable staff, but you never know what, again what he's coming in and there's always young young guys pushing the old guys and and um, maybe that's a conversation we can have in uh, one of our last podcasts but uh, or maybe early, you know, sometime in the fall. But um, I think it's still it's still a lot of talent. And don't get me wrong. I, again, I feel weird as we close this thing out, Chris, talking like it's a it's an inferior. You've got lighter rocker, and then everyone else, and, and there's a you know, yes, there's a drop off. Okay. There's, well, there's yes, going, anybody drop off drops yeah, off from I mean, lighter and rocker to to right. whatever. Of course. So it's, it's so you know you're 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 have to uh, be realistic about this but um i think just if i'm in that room and i can transport myself back to a 19 year old and and be in that room uh, you know there's, there's guys who have a lot of want to uh want to is fine but it, the performance has to translate uh in these next 15 games and really before that really in the next six they've got to find a guy uh, one or two who can step in that role and take it and run with it and be the person who wants the ball and who can give them five or six on Sunday. Uh, you know, I don't think they want one, you know, three on Sunday. You got to have five or six on Sunday. And once that happens, if they can get it, then I think a lot of this um, sitting there worrying about who's going to come in to get six outs, which is still, I think Maldonado once again proved his point. That he's the guy you got to give the ball to um, this weekend if you get in a situation because you know Mississippi State certainly has their guy and what a difference it is when you had Tyler Brown coming out of the bullpen last two couple years you didn't have to worry about anything but when you have you're going to see Landon Sims this weekend who who is a guy who comes in he's he's got a .37 ERA he's got five saves he gets out there and he can sling it. And I think he was in, speaking of your podcast, he was in your top, what, four or five pitchers you had if you ranked you ranked the top pitchers in the SEC. I think he Landon Sims was in your top five. Am I correct? He was. I think yeah. so, five or six. I, I get he okay. and Kevin Copps mixed up. But one, I think one was five and one was six. But they're both okay. right there together. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know where I, how I got off on that tangent. But anyway, I think we were talking about next year. Let's worry about this year. But a good question, though. Yeah, I mean, their issues with pitching, these are these are first world um you know, Tina didn't get her latte until it was two minutes too late kind of kind of issues that we're talking about, right? So right. um and I'll give you another thing on next year. This is just kind of how it goes. I mean, Grayson Garvin was nowhere on anybody's radar of pitching stars. He had a really good year in relief the year before. I think some of it, the DRA, I think he had about a one, and it was kind of flukish. Like, he was really good, but I think, like, all the runners who got on didn't didn't score or something like that. It was it was kind of – there was a ridiculous amount of luck mixed in there, too. Well, Grayson, the next year is SEC Pitcher of the Year, throwing behind Sonny Gray. Um, and I'll give you another one is Mason Hickman. Hickman was that – third starter that was kind of in the rotation sometimes and sometimes not and had about a five and a half ERA and and then you know you saw what happened in 2019 where 
he ends the year with the sub two ERA and he's pitching the decisive game that wins the whole thing for them in Omaha. Point is, they develop arms. Um, and they've got so many and they're so good at it that somebody's going to pop up probably and have maybe an all-SEC type year, even if we can't identify exactly who it is. Yeah, you never – and that's a great point about Grayson Garvin. Yeah, there's – there's, and Mason Hickman was a local guy, went to JP2, and everybody knew he was talented, had a big frame. He was 6'5", 6'6", and – but he, you know, he came along and he was kind of that midweek starter. And the next thing you know, he's pitching in the final game of the College World Series to close it out. And I remember, as I said a couple weeks ago, I walked in the park and I was extremely confident walking to, into uh, TD Ameritrade Park, knowing that he was the pitcher. And that's not always a luxury you have in a winner-take-all game. Uh, but I, I remember thinking that, and that's how far he matured and became uh, relied on for uh, Corbin and his staff. And then he about gave everyone a heart attack with the first three batters. Um, yes, true. And, and then from that point on, it was totally fine. But um, fine. let's see, Ann Arbor asks, what's a good rule of thumb for days rest required uh, per number of game pitchers? Pitches, excuse me. Hypothetically, would it be something like for every 15 innings, in-game pitches you throw, you have one day of rest? I've never heard it phrased like that, but um, maybe you can – make sense of that question in the no, way you answer I mean, it so yeah i mean it depends if you're a reliever of course and starter and you, you you rarely will see like on this on the reliever part you rarely see a closer i don't think tyler brown ever came for example three straight games you might correct me but i think it's on a reliever it's a max of two so you want to have a a definite uh situation where you those guys you can't extend them out too long, your closers. Usually you got guys who you think you're going to get three outs from, three outs, six outs. But, for instance, in the situation where, you know, uh, on Saturday's game, I'm not sure that, you know, we were, it was Luke Murphy going to try to get nine outs. I don't know if he's that type of pitcher who can get you nine outs in that role. Um, so as far as starters go, I mean, these guys are conditioned, preconditioned with their workouts and their stretching and their – medicine ball work and their heavy ball work and their long toss work that, you know, of course they're getting six, six days, pretty much your starters are, which is not reality. When you get to pro ball, it's more five days, but six, they're getting six and seven days, I guess full, unless they, you know, when they tweak the schedule and you play on a Thursday night and start the series instead of a Friday, but that's one adjustment in pro ball that you have to get used to in college is the days in between and and uh, but no, as far as looking, I don't think there's any ratio or number of innings that, as far as how many days rest you you can do. But you, to answer it shortly, your 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 bullpen guys definitely, you know, Scott Brown knows what he can get, and it's usually max two appearances for your main guy and for your other staff. You usually only see those guys once a weekend. Uh, as, as far as SEC play is concerned. Last one, VU65 asks, as a regular season winds down, Vandy usually shortens the bullpen. How do you see the key bullpen roles in the postseason? Well, yeah, that's right. I've, I've said that a couple weeks ago. This, this Looking at the stat sheet, the, the, the number of slots and, and appearances will definitely shorten, and you want to get your guys' work. Uh, you know, when you when you're only playing in this year, you used to be playing two midweek games, and now it's pretty much consistently only one. 
So that that leash is going to be shortened. It's going to you're not going to have your guys. Uh, usually midweek, it's been a situation where they've had a guy go three or four, and then you go two, one, 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 one. You know, you got guys throwing one inning apiece and piecing it together. And I think you will see that shorten when they find the guys that they can rely on to spread that out a little bit and get, you know, maybe a three, three, four inning and then uh, some guys to give you two each or three and two. So uh, getting into individuals, I mean, you know, that that's, you know, I think McIlvain obviously is in the mid. You want to get him midweek work as he heads into the weekend. You know, where is Little going to come in to, to play? And you, you could go up and down, but yeah, I don't think you're going to see uh, as many guys as they go to f- perhaps Louisville and some of these midweek games. I think you're going to see that shorten that list shorten, and that just makes sense. You, you you're not going to throw all these guys when it comes to a regional or super regional. It's good to have the depth, but you want to have your guys get the innings in the work. Well, here's another dynamic of their team. Okay, when you get to postseason. When you've got Rocker and Lighter able to throw 120 pitches and and go the distance, okay, you start to save your arms. I, I mean, nobody's going to go one and two the way they are. So you get in the winner's bracket, whether it's Hoover or a regional or or Omaha, you win those first two games, you're resting everybody while everybody else is playing. And they're already tough to match up with in a normal three-game series. But when you start adding in that everybody else plays a fourth game, uh, the advantage swings to your bats a little bit more because you're facing worse arms than you would be being in the winner's bracket. Um, You're facing everybody else's game four pitchers while you're on your game three. I mean, just the way that it is set up for tournament play. And, oh, by the way, here's one more thing, okay, Chip? Their Achilles heel right now is giving up home runs. Well, they're going to be playing in the least home run friendly park you can imagine in college baseball if they get to Omaha. And oh, by the way, Hoover's not a a picnic to hit them out either. So the way this is setting up for them, you know, barring injury or some sort of disaster, I just have a hard time imagining a more favorable position for them to be in, given the way their roster is structured. Right, and there's a, there's a definite method to the madness as far as how they piece together their innings going forward. And, and But there's a, you know, there's a balance, there's a delicate balance, as you mentioned, to getting guys work. You want to get them work so they're in game-type situations. And, you know, you, you realize those first two games you're talking about, lighter and rocker, well, you know, you want them to go seven and eight in innings and get a guy, you know, get your closer, get three outs for you. That's what you want. What you don't want to have happen, of course, is have a staff also that's sitting around and they're just pitching in inter-squad games um, and not getting on the mound at Hoover or on the mound in a regional or whatever. So that's all what they're trying to do. And if you look, you've noticed Scott Brown has been pretty consistent in doing that all year as far as piecing those innings together in the midweek games and, you know, you, you saw that against Austin P the other night when he closed out. And I think we had there was there were three guys. You had Schultz, of course, started, and you had Evans, Berkwich, and Owen throw an inning apiece. So it was great to see Schultz get his six, but what's that always hadn't been the case. It's usually been four innings and then 
four or five guys kind of get you home. So there is a, there's a definite, uh, you want to get the work. It's a delicate balance, but it's a good problem to have when you have the, the one-two punch that they've had all seasons of, thus far. Chip, it is apparently a very good time to own real estate in the Nashville area. You happen to own a real estate business. Tell folks a little bit about what you do. Sure, yeah, it is It is a great time to be in real estate. And our agency, uh, Frederick & Clark Realty, has been around since 1957. Just a couple uh, notes here, Chris, about our company. In 2020, we had over $1.5 billion in sales. We sold over... 1,735 homes. That's a that's an amazing amount of real estate that we were involved in. We were ranked number two in the average sales price of $881,000, average sales price for a home. And one might think, well, they're just a company that <clears throat> just serve, you know, serves wealthy neighborhoods. Well, that's not the case. You know, when you look at our 2020 sales, we served over 40 different zip codes ranging in price from 32000 to 11.4 million. So, if you're someone out there who thinks and you're thinking of selling their home, selling your home, or looking on the buy side, and well, those guys just sell houses that are a million. All the all the signs I see are in multi-million-dollar homes. That's not the case. We we have a broad spectrum of um, agents. We have now 183 agents in two locations: one in Brentwood and one in Green Hills. And we are there to provide professional guidance and assistance in this process. A lot of people are, you know, there's a lot of options out there looking for real estate. If you're trying to sell your home, looking on the computer and looking at various websites about how to price your home. Well, you have to be very particular in these days of doing your due diligence and you need a professional on your side to do that. Because if you price your home out of the market in, the, in this hot market, what happens is, is people start looking around and saying, what's wrong with that house? Why is it overpriced? All these other houses are selling. So you need that professional guidance. Um, you know, we're looking at an average on the houses that are priced correctly in the favorable neighborhoods that, that, that are hot, about a 21 to 24 day on the market from the time a sign's put in the yard until it uh, goes pending, which is pretty incredible. So yeah, red hot real estate market. We'd love to help the listeners out, you can give us a call at 615-327-4800. Ask for me personally. Check us, Check out our website at frederickandclark.com. And that's all I got. All right, Chip. We will have another fun week ahead next week. Uh, the series of Mississippi State will be in the books. And can't wait to talk to you about that. And then it will be the Florida series ahead. So um, it's getting interesting, and it's always fun to do these. Take care, Chris. Have a great weekend. All right. He's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.